0: attention to the book of jeremiah 29 the book of jeremiah uh, jeremiah is is called the the, the weeping prophet uh, i think one of the deals about jeremiah being called the weeping prophet is uh, jeremiah really don't have no good news for nobody <laughs> when jeremiah opens up his mouth it's gonna be bad you know it's you know it's it's, it's gonna be bad but uh there is a a verse in, in chapter 29, a series of verses in Jeremiah 29 that have been heavy on my spirit for really years now. Um, and uh, I go back to them, I, I read them uh, often, and uh, tonight I want just, to just just point some of this stuff out and I want to speak to us tonight. You know, Tuesday night's about Bible study, it's about growing. It's about developing, it's about becoming mature in Christ, it's about becoming a better Christian, uh, better mothers, better fathers, better leaders, just better people. Um, And so I think tonight's really going to help us. Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 1, when you have it, just say amen. Uh, The Bible says, now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders that were carried away captives. And to the priests and to the prophets and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. So, this letter is to the elders, the prophets, the priests, and the people that are in captivity. They have been carried away by Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon. They've been taken out of their homes, removed from the places they love, they've been removed from their families, their schools, they've been removed from all of their friends, all their connections, their networking. They've been pulled out from where they are. They've been put in a new land uh, under bondage. The Bible says carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. I want to skip down to verse 4. It says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. It's very important this right here, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 5. Build ye houses, dwell in them, plant gardens, eat the fruit of them, take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city whether I have caused you to be carried away captives and pray unto the Lord for it for in the peace thereof shall you have peace I want to uh, speak to this church tonight uh, to the individuals in this room about finding peace in your position finding peace in your position Amen Let's pray together. God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that we feel here in this building. I pray tonight, God, you will use this word to grow us, mature us. God, teach us tonight through your word, and we'll be careful to give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. And everyone lift your voice and shout in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Jeremiah 29. Uh, uh, Jeremiah, the, the, the weeping prophet is uh, writing uh, a letter, a letter of prophecy to the elders that were carried away captives, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people who were carried away by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, they were carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, in, in verse 5, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 4, God makes this, this statement as he is writing through the hand of Jeremiah, <clears throat> and he said, to all those that were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon, whom I have caused to be carried away. I caused you to be carried away. I want to... Uh, I- I want to address people tonight that um, are just living in a place, in a situation, maybe not uh, a physical, you know, six-digit grid location position, but just a position in life. This is a place that you're in, a position in your world, a position in your life that you're not familiar with, you're not comfortable with, you're not connected with. This is just a place right now for you. And you know that this is not where God ultimately wants you to be, but this is where God has you now, and it is a place of what may be considered captivity. Maybe that nobody's holding you there, but just the situation is holding you there. The the position, the timing is a place where you have been removed from what you know, what you love. Again, maybe not location, maybe not an exact place. Uh, I'm not speaking about moving from one city to the next. I'm not talking about moving from one church to the next. But I'm talking about either spiritually, mentally. There's sometimes that God takes us through stages in our life that we're not comfortable with. Can I get an amen? Uh, I know that there's been times in my life that... uh, I kind of questioned what God was thinking. Uh, I kind of questioned, uh, you know, God, where are you going with this? Where, where, where is this? where is this leading to? Because this is not where I feel like I need to be. However, uh, I know that you're in this. I know that there is a plan. There is a procedure. There is a process here. And I think a lot of times, uh, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again, I'll probably say it as long as I'm pastor here. There's a lot of times that the devil gets a lot of credit for stuff he ain't got nothing to do with. Amen. And I think that that's a part of our culture, uh, our religious culture, that we have um, over-satanized stuff. Uh, that, that 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 may not be a correct term, uh, but I, but I've been I've been in, in in the apostolic movement for my whole life, and and I know that we over-Satanize stuff. We, we blame Satan for a lot of stuff. The devil did it. The, the enemy did it. The, you know, that I can't believe the devil's doing this. And, and the enemy got me here, and the enemy got me there. And really, it ain't the enemy at all. A lot of times, it's God. But, but, but we, but we our, our religious culture, we, we view God as the genie in the bottle, that he's all for my, you know, when we quote the scripture, we quote it like this. And all good things work out for the good of them that love the Lord. That's not what the scripture says. It says all things. You know, good, bad, and the ugly. But it's all working for my good. But sometimes the bad things are working for my good. And God is making it very clear here that he caused them to be led from Jerusalem to this place of captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. It was God that caused it. And I'll tell you why he caused it, because if you go back to the book of Exodus, God gave the children of Israel very specific, drawn out lines of when to work and when to rest. And there was the seven day principle that you work for six days and you rest for one. And that one day is called the Sabbath. And you will keep that day holy to me. You will respect me on that day. You will not work on that day. You will. You will live for me on that day. You will set that day aside for me. You will share my stories. You will sing my songs. This is my day. That's the, that's the seven-day concept, the day of the Sabbath. But God also had a Sabbath year. Now, the Sabbath day was easy to live by because it was just one day a week. You had to set aside. But God also had a Sabbath year that Israel never, they never adhered to. The seventh year they would adhere to the seventh day, but the seventh year was way too much for them because when God said the seventh year on the seventh year, they could not sow any seed in the ground. They had to let their fields grow over whatever grew grew. They could not sow any seed in the ground on top of that. They had to release anyone who owed them anything would be released on the seventh year. The seventh year was deemed. The year of the Lord's release. That's what it was deemed. The, the seventh year was the year. Of the Lord's release. And that seventh year came around. And somebody owed you ten bucks. They didn't owe you ten bucks anymore. You released them from what they owed you. Israel had a hard time living by this. So they never gave the Lord. The seventh year. Well God said. If you go back and look at the time frame between God giving that command and the time Nebuchadnezzar took the children of Israel from Jerusalem into Babylon. It was almost uh, 700 years and God made them take 70 years in captivity by Nebuchadnezzar and King Darius kept them for 70 years because God said I'm going to get my seventh year rest from you. Now, that's a lot of studying, a lot of working it out, but I believe in the seventh year. And if, you're, and if you're going to Truth Chapel on our seventh year, you will see how much I'm going to respect the seventh year. I believe there's a seventh year principle that we preach about, talk about. This is the year the Lord's release. People get up and preach about it, but don't nobody ever live by it. We will live by it at this church. It will be a year of no planting. Whatever grows, grows. It will be a year of rest. It will be a year of edifying the body. And God's going to do some miracles in the seventh year. But you have to respect the seventh year. Israel never respected the seventh year. They didn't think it was that God cared. But the whole time, God was keeping tally. God was counting them. He said, I'm going to get this seventh year from you. So he said, now this, I've caused you to be taken into captivity. I've, I've caused you, I've caused this. Because you need 70 years of rest. This is the concept that we see in the book of Psalms when David said, For he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He maketh me. He didn't ask me. He made me lie down in green pastures. There's been times in my ministry when when I got fiercely sick. And I was praying, God, you know, why, why am I so sick? I need to be on the road. I need to catch a plane. I need to do all this stuff. You know, I got all this stuff going on. And God was like, no, you're going to lay right here in this bed and you ain't getting up until I feel like you, 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 you're rested. And I had to relinquish that time to God because I knew God was saying, you're going to give me my days of rest. I was living a lifestyle of no rest. I was living a lifestyle of always going, always, and I was hiding behind, I'm working for God. <laughs> that, was, that, that was my excuse. I'm working for the Lord. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm working for God. God said, no, no. If you're working for me, then you will adhere to my day of rest. You will give me a day of rest. And you will give me time of being set aside, and you will rest. And if you don't, I will make you lay down in green pastures. Anybody ever had that happen to you before? God made you take some time off? God made you get broke so you could have to sit at home for about three or four days? God made you run out of money so you start running around everywhere and just sit at the house and be with your family and friends? God made the power turn off so you'd have to light some candles and... Nobody would be on their uh, devices and everybody could just sit and enjoy each each other's time. Some of y'all didn't know God made you do that, but now that I'm saying it, you're like, "Mm, maybe that was God. (laughs) Yeah, it was God probably because God will make us to lie down in green pastures. He said, it is me that has caused you to be put in captivity. Your current position is because of me. The struggle you're going through is because of me. The situation you're in right now is because of me. You neglected me. Now I'm going to make you turn back to me. You forgot me. And so the only way I can get you to turn back to me is to put you under some kind of just di- di- or distress because I need to make you into what I need to make you into. Into be that I've called you to be. God God will put us through hurts, pains, failures, misconceptions. He'll put us through just about anything to get our attention. He will. There's a lot of people sitting in this room, myself included. If it had not been for a couple bad times in my life, I probably wouldn't be here right now. You know? There's several people in the room right now that if had not been for a horrible time in your life, you might not even be in church right now. Like, you might not even have the Holy Ghost. Be baptized in Jesus' name. Even know what Pentecost is about. Even know what church is about. But because you went through some mess, you was like, I got to go find God. Can I, can I get an amen out from the crowd right now? I mean, I, God led me to a place where I was like, I got to find God. Because... Only God can fix this. Sometimes God puts you through some stuff that only he can fix. The Bible says this, no man cometh unless the spirit draw him. And if he can't draw you with a light, he'll draw you with a hook. If he can't draw you with a hook, he might draw you with a magnet or a bomb. If he wants you, he's going to get you. He said, I caused you to be in this situation. He said, but I want to say something to you while you're here. Verse 5 begins a series of verses that really speak to my spirit. So we have established this, this fact that these people, these elders, priests, prophets, and people have all been taken out of their comfort zone. They have all been taken into captivity. They are now in a situation that they don't want to be in. And here's God's word for them. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat the fruit of those gardens. Take wives and 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 beget sons and daughters and then take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there where's there captivity that you may be increased there <laughs> When you get to where I'm taking you, you're not gonna like it. It is a place of captivity. However, when you get there, go ahead and build you a house, plant you. you, You're gonna be here for a while. Plant you, build your house, plant a garden, eat the fruit of that garden. Take you a wife, have some kids. Take husbands and wives for your kids so they can have kids, so that you can be increased in. Captivity and not diminished. This concept is so far removed from us. Because when we are not where God, when we are not where we feel like we ought to be, we have a tendency to do nothing there. We have a tendency to say, well, I'm not where God wants me to be. I'm, you know, I'm not who God wants me to be yet. I'm not exactly having fulfilled all the will of God for my life yet. So I'm just going to wait until everything is right until I start really seeking peace. Until I start really living right. Until I start really making my stand here, making my commitment here. But God said, While you're in captivity, don't forget to work while you're in captivity. Don't forget to put your hand to the plow while you're in captivity. Don't forget to build houses and and plant gardens and live life while you're in captivity. While you're going through this, don't forget that life's still going on around you. And there are still promises and blessings for your life, even in this place of captivity. Because I'm going to increase you in captivity. This is not a new concept for Israel. Seventy people, Seventy people went to the land of Goshen in the book of Genesis when Joseph brought his brothers into Egypt and seventy Israelites went down to that little place called Goshen and the only reason that the Pharaoh gave them Goshen is because it was a swamp. Goshen was just a little old swamp and it was, nobody wanted to use it. Nobody, it was good for nothing. But them Israelites got down there and they started building channels. They started building irrigation ditches. They knew how to work that land. And Goshen became the most fertile land in all of Egypt. And those 70 became over 1 million men, not including women and children. In 450 years, So for Israel, they understand we know how to grow in captivity. And the tighter the situation gets, the bigger we get. The more I grow in my situation. You see, without captivity, a lot of us couldn't grow. Without the struggle, a lot of us couldn't grow. Without the trouble in your life right now, it may not be easy for you to grow. Listen, let me ask you this. How many would be here if everything was just okay? If you had a million in the bank, you know, and life was just good, and there wasn't no trouble, no trials, no, no, there was just nothing. Everything was just perfect, a okay How hard would it be to come to church? I've seen people go through the worst struggles in their life and get closer to God. And I've seen people get the new job and the new money, and a new car, and a new house, and totally leave God. How many times have you seen it? You've been in church longer than I have. How many times have you seen it in your life? That the people that continue with struggle continue on the pew, but the people that everything starts working out, and they get, the, they get all the good stuff that they wanted, all of a sudden church becomes, you know, second, third place. Why? Because. You increase in captivity. Success is almost a plague. And I know God wants to set you up. I know, I know God wants to do great things in your life. The problem is, is that if God hasn't done it yet, and if God is still hasn't made that way out of no way for you yet, and you haven't seen everything that God has brought yet, It may be time to say, God, I want to get closer to you because there's obviously something in my spirit that you see that I don't see. There's something in me, something in my life there's something in my way that you see that I don't see. I guarantee you the children of Israel are walking, you know, into Babylon thinking what in the world is wrong. Why is God doing this? But God knows because you did not give me 70 years. The, this generation don't even know what the seventy what the seventh year of release even means. They, they've never heard about it because their forefathers gave up on it, never did it, never thought it was important. But they're walking into captivity, falling under a rule that they don't even know exists. There's a reason God has you where He has you. I said, there's a reason God has you where He has you. He's not God's not confused. There's a couple words that are not in God's vocabulary, and one of those words is oops. He don't make mistakes. He didn't. He, 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 he was born at night, but it wasn't last night. He, he's in control. It's hard for us to believe because we live a life of control. We literally live a life of control and it's hard for us to believe that God's in control because we like to be in control. We do. We, we love to be in control. And I'm not a control freak, but I still like to be in control. Amen. You say, well, Brother Chavis, I, you know, I don't really have, you know, a lot of control. Well, yes, you do. You don't realize, you don't realize how much control you have until you don't have control. See, I know what it's like to not be in control. There's only one time in my life, one time in my existence that I ever felt I'm not in control. Literally, I'm not in control. There is nothing I can do right now that's going to change anything that's happening right now. There's only one time in my life that I've ever really fully felt that, and that was when I was in the Army and I was in Iraq. I was serving with the U.S. Army. And there is situations that I was in while I was in Iraq serving with a combat unit that I was literally not in control. And while I was over there, I was not in control. I was not. I was not in control. Someone else was calling all the shots for me. And I had never been there before. And I did not know what that felt like until I was actually there. And there's a lot of people sitting in the room today, you don't know what that feels like. You have no idea what it feels like to not be in control. Think about it. If you don't like your car, you can go get a new one. Feel like your house, you can sell it, get a new one. Feel like your wife, sign some papers, get a new one. Feel like my message tonight, you just get up and go home, ain't nobody going to stop you. Nobody's going to stop you. you. You're in control right now. You are totally in control. If you like your kids, there's a way to get rid of them too. Anything in your, everything in your life right now, you can quit. You can literally quit everything you're doing. You don't like your job, quit it. Nobody can stop you from quitting your job. Now, you might not eat next week. <laughs> you might be hungry. But you can quit it. You can, you, you are in control. In Iraq, I was not in control. I could not quit. I couldn't walk in and be like, Sergeant, I'm done here. I'm going home. Like, we're good. See you later. That's a long walk and a longer swim. You can't. Bullets are flying. Bombs going off. You can't be like, you know what? Time out, guys. Time out. I'm done. I'm out of here. Time out. Absolutely not. You fight or you die. You hesitate, you die. You're not in control. You are not in control. And it's the, it's the worst feeling that I think I've ever felt as a human being is to realize there is nothing I can do about this right now. Nothing I can do about this. I can do nothing about this. I can't even be mad or happy or sad. I can't even cry. I'm just stuck right here, and that's it. And we don't have a concept of what not being in control is. And so when God comes into our life and begins to do things that we don't necessarily understand and things happen the way they happen, we automatically, as a knee-jerk reaction, as a part of our culture, we try to grab and control because that's who we are. And we stop God from doing what God wants to do in the first place. In order for God to get the children of Israel to... Be where he wanted them to be and be who he wanted them to be. He literally had to take all control from them. He literally had to put them in captivity. He literally had to take them out of Jerusalem, bring them into Babylon and cut them off. And now, now, now I finally got you where I want you. Now sit down. Build houses, plant gardens, relax. Just for 70 years, just stop, stop, sit. Just live life. The last thing he says to them is this in verse seven. He says, and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captives and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof, shall ye have peace. Pray for the peace of the city. God, give me peace in this season. Give me peace in this situation. Give me peace in this moment in my life. I don't know, I don't know why I'm here. I don't have all the answers. I don't like being here. I really feel like I'm not in control, Lord. I really feel like I, I don't have a say-so here. I, I, I really feel like th- there's, there's trouble on my left and my right, front and back, and I looked up to you, Lord, but you weren't there. So I'm really questioning God what's all going on, but I'm going to pray for peace here. God, give me peace here. God, help me find peace in this position. I am not happy with it, but I'm happy with you. So let me find peace here. If this is where you want me, Lord, let me find peace here. He said, because when you find peace in the city, you'll find peace. <laughs> that's really what I, that's really what I want. I want peace. I want to be able to know that this is right. I mean, there are sacrifices that are made to the left and right. There's here a little, there a little. But if I know that I'm in the right place, I'm okay with that. You know, if I know that this is God, I'm okay with it. If I know God, this is your plan for me, and this is your purpose for me, and this is the position for me, then I can have peace with that because I know it's God. I'm okay with the struggle as long as I know that God's in this. You know what God wants you to do? He wants you to live life. He don't want you to pick up your sword and fight against Nebuchadnezzar. He don't want you to try to destroy Babylon. He wants you to build houses, plant gardens, have kids, be at peace. There's a lot of us fighting imaginary Goliaths. We're fighting imaginary devils, imaginary demons. Now, I believe in devils and demons. I'll cast them out quick as you can blink, but I'm not looking for them. I'm not going kicking down doors. Looking for devils and trying to be Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's a show, not a real, not real life. If demons and devils want to come, we'll cast them out. There's a lot of people fighting against stuff that ain't even there. And God's saying, hey, calm down. Take a deep breath and build you a house. You, we're going to be here for a while. Plant a garden. Make it nice. Have kids. Marry them off so that you can be increased here. There's a lot of us that can't even enjoy life right now. We're not even enjoying life because we're trying to figure out everything that's going on. Woo. I didn't get no amens one now, but I, but I fought the Holy Ghost. We're trying, to, we're, trying to make, we're trying to make stuff happen. We're trying to, you know, instead of a, a hammer and nails and building a house, we got a sword and a spear. And we're, where's Nebuchadnezzar? I'm making my stand right here. And God said, whoa, whoa, I didn't didn't send you here to fight Nebuchadnezzar. I sent you here to build a house. Build a house. Plant a garden. Calm down. Find peace here. But God, this is captivity. Your your people are not supposed to be. Your people aren't supposed to. Your people. Hey, 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 hey. Say that what you're saying real slow. Your people. Your, yeah, that's right. My people. You're mine. And whatever I want to do in your life, I'm going to do it. Because I know what's best for you. And I have your best interests in mind. And you may not agree with it. And you may not love it. But the sooner you stop fighting and fall on your knees and say, God, give me peace here, the sooner you're going to find what you're looking for. Peace. Peace. I come tonight with this message because I see so many people in the church, and not only this church, but just the kingdom of God. I see so many people that are fighting against God's will because they don't believe that God would allow something bad to happen. But yes, he would. He he, he would actually allow something bad to happen. I I got more Bible for God letting bad stuff happen than I do for him letting good stuff happen, you know. I could preach all day about the miracles of God, but I could preach for years about what God let happen. The Bible says, and Hannah's womb was shut because the Lord did it. The Lord did that. Lord, why would you do that? Because I want to show my glory. I can't show my glory in someone who's got it all together. I can only show my glory in someone who's messed up a little bit. Lord, why is this man blind? Did he sin or his mom or dad sin, Lord? Tell us why this man's blind. Well, neither. Neither him nor his parents sinned. But he was born blind so that the glory of God could be made manifest in his life. Yeah, I, I did that. I did that. So I could show you how powerful I am. Lord, why would you let all this mess happen in my life? Well, hang out for a little while. Build your house. Calm down. I'm going to show you my glory in a little bit. You're going to grow here. You're going to increase here. When you leave here, you're going to be better than you were when you came. When you finally make it out of here, you're going to be bigger than you were when you came. When you finally make it out of here, you're going to be more mature than you were when you came. You're going to have more to show. But God, I want to be, I, I want to be where I want to be. God said, no, I want you to be where I want you to be. I'm reminded of Joseph. Has a dream. God shows him this great, grand dream of where he will be, you know. And, and that's a problem sometimes is God, sometimes God gives you a picture of the end game, but he don't show you all the junk that's gonna happen between day one and day a thousand. Yes. He don't show you all that mess that's gonna happen. God's gonna make me great, yeah. But to do it, it's gonna not be nice. He's gonna go around his thumb to get to his elbow, and you're not gonna like it. And he's bragging. God's gonna make me. God's gonna do this. God's gonna make me great. God's gonna, you know, he's gonna. You're gonna bow down to me. I'm gonna be the man, and it's gonna be so awesome. Yeah. By the way, we hate your guts, and we're gonna throw you in a pit and sell you into slavery. The first place he lands is Potiphar's house. This is not where God wanted him to be. Potiphar's house is not where God called him. this is not this is not my dream. this is not where God said that I'm going to be this I don't remember this in my dream. you know I wasn't a servant in my dream. I was being served in my dream. God come on now so he just gets mad, folds his arms I'm not doing nothing i'm I'm Joseph. God's got a calling on my life. Potiphar's house. That's not the story. It's not how the story goes. The story goes that Joseph made himself available. He said, what can I do while I'm here? How can I help? He builds a house, plants a garden, finds peace in the city. He finds peace in Potiphar's house. He puts his hand to the plow. He says, just let me work while I'm here. I don't understand what God's doing, but I'm not going to sit in the corner with my thumb in my mouth and a cloud over my head. Poor pitiful me, because at least I'm alive. And so before the story ends in Potiphar's house, he literally has the keys to Potiphar's house. He is the greatest man in Potiphar's house. He's worked his way up the ladder in Potiphar's house. And then when Potiphar's wife tries to get him to lie with her, he refuses, and instead of being rewarded, he's condemned to prison. Now, God, I know when, in that dream, I ain't see prison bars from nowhere. When you show me the dream, Lord, when you put that anointing on me, I didn't see no prison. I'm coming up out of here, Lord. We see we all get, we, we, we get all preachy when the bad stuff starts happening. God, I know that this is not your plan for my life. And maybe it is God's plan for your life. Did you ever stop for one minute and think, this actually may be God's plan for me. Now, I know that that don't sit well with you, but it don't sit well with me either. But it's Bible. And he could have, you know, been as errant as he wanted to be. He could have fought every day. I'm not supposed to be in this prison. I'm supposed to be leader of the free world. And he would have only done a couple of things. Number one, he would have drove himself crazy and drove everybody else around him crazy. But he said, well, you know, I'm in prison. What can I do? I'll sweep out sales. I mean, I'll just help out. You know, what can I do right here? I'm not going to sit here in the corner. I mean, I got to do something. And so by the time the prison stay is over, he's literally head over the prison. He's the prince of the prison. See, in order to be prince over Egypt, you gotta be prince over the prison first. And that's our problem. We don't want to be prince over the prison because the prison's too low for us. This ain't the call. When God gave me the dream, I wish God wouldn't do that sometimes. I wish God would just show you all the hurt and pain you're gonna have to go through to get there and then and then let you decide. I'll just, I'll just sweep the floors, Lord. You know, change the plans. Can this be multiple choice? Can we stack up the levels of hurt and struggle and pain for each position? And then I'll kind of choose which one I want to do. But that's, I, that's not what God does. God shows you the end game because if you can keep that in your brain, you can keep that in front of your face, if you can keep it on your lips. This is what God said. And then it doesn't matter what happens around you. I know what God said. I know what God said. There were some moments in Iraq when we all thought this is the last night on planet earth but I knew that I wasn't going to die there. Y'all might die but I ain't dying. And I'm not arrogant about it. I wasn't boastful about it. I just knew this is not I'm, I'm, I'm making it out of here because i seen in my head what God is going to do with my ministry and I ain't seen it yet. See, I'll shoot all y'all want to. I am leaving here tonight. That's why God gives you the vision so that you don't forget it in the prison. If I didn't see this in my head, this ain't the last game. Devil, I don't care what you're saying right now. This is not the last thing. God's got something bigger and better and greater than this. I know because I've seen it. I know because he showed it to me. I know it ain't over here. So if I'm here, let me do something while I'm here. Let me be somebody while I'm here. If I'm going to be here, that looks like a good place for a house. If I'm going to be here, let me build a garden right there because I know God is going to grow me in this. At no point do we find where Joseph blamed God and got mad at God and accused God of sabotaging the call that God put in his life. I've been there before. I'm 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 almost done. But I want to just tell you a quick story. I, I've been there before. I've been I've been Joseph. I'm I'm am still Joseph. I remember the night that God called me to preach. I had actually I actually prayed, I had actually prayed and told God I didn't want to preach. I so said, God, I don't want to be a preacher, but if you want me to, you let somebody come tell me now. I was at the altar. I could take you to the place. The altar has changed now over the years of, you know, changing the way the church is set up. But if you're standing in the pulpit, I was, about, I was about right here. I was nine years old. I was kneeling at the altar. And I knew God had called me to be a minister, even at nine. But I prayed. I said, Lord, I don't really want to be a preacher uh, but if you want me to be, you'll have somebody to come tell me. And a man tucked on my back, Freeman Tyler was his name, still alive today. Tutted on my back, I turned around, it was Freeman Tyler, and he was crying. He said, Court, I love you, young man. He said, God wanted me to tell you that he's going to use you to reach millions of people. Millions, you know. I mean, you're nine years old, you hear the word millions, you're like, what? You can't even put that into your brain. When he left me, I literally went back on my knees on the altar. I said, Lord, if it's really you, send somebody else. <laughs> I did. Because I, I, I had heard out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. I needed two, Lord, at least two. It's a true story. It wasn't maybe five minutes later, the man who was preaching there for us that night, Brother Richard Rose, walked off the platform, come down to me, grabbed me, said, Well, court. God has a great calling on your life. He's he's going to use your ministry. I see you reaching millions of people. Nine. Nine years old. I began to weep, cry, you know, pray. But literally from that day, from that day, the devil began to attack me like you could not believe. I can't even tell you because we're in mixed company how the devil attacked me from that day for the rest of my life. Every day of my life, he fought me. By the time I was 16, 17 years old, I was so violent that if you looked at me cross, I'd jump on you like a wild spider monkey and pray, pray that you tried something. Pray. I pulled a knife on a kid at the church the clip. We're going to cut him. I told him to. I said, come once, I'm going to cut you. And I would have the devil messed with my mind so much. I was a, I was, literally a troubled child. My mom and dad would sit here today and tell you that I was a great child, but if they sit here and tell you the truth, they would tell you court put us through some junk. I remember my dad saying in court, "What are you doing? I'm trying to start a church in this city, and I'm coming to pick you up from the school, being handcuffed to the bench at the school." Because you done tore the school up. I told them all to come get some. The whole school. Come on, get some. I got some for all of y'all. I was so messed up. By the time I went to college, I had totally left God. And when I made my way back to God, I I I made my way back to God so humble, so broken. I admitted to my mother and father and my grandfather, I don't even know what I believe. I mean, y'all told me this stuff, but I I don't know. When I came back to church, I started as an usher. I worked the back door, wore a vest, had a little name tag. My dad wanted me to come up and sing. I said, no, dad, I'm I'm not coming on the platform. I'm not. I'm not getting on that platform. It's too dangerous. I don't want the Lord to strike me dead. I'm not worthy to be up there. I'm not worthy to be on that platform. I began to study my word because... I realized that I didn't know it. I didn't know it. If somebody asked me to prove the oneness of God, I couldn't have told them. I, I, I mean, I couldn't hardly quote Acts 2.38. It never interested me. The problem was that during all this time, during all this time of me being this crazy kid, I was so anointed. I'm telling you, I was this wild, crazy kid. But if they ever handed me the microphone to sing a song, I mean, it was Katie bar the door. They would be picking people up off the floor. The anointing was on me so strong, but the devil fought me every day. I finally got married. Was working in my dad's church. Full-time music pastor. Led all the worship. Did the choir. Had everything going. Still worked a full-time job as well. And God began to deal with my heart again. Here he came again. This is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to begin this ministry. And he began to tell me, and, and you're going to be an evangelist. And I'm like, Lord, I don't even preach. Like, how am I going to be an evangelist? I would preached a couple times uh, at the church, but it was like, you know, fr- Friday night fire. And it, it, in my opinion, it was it was pitiful. <laughs> it was sad. Uh, you know, somebody, somebody said, I seen in the sky, I said, GPC, go preach Christ. And after he preached his first message, somebody said, I think that meant go pick cotton. You know, it's kind of how I felt. And just that wasn't the Lord, brother. That was somebody else. That was the pizza talking. That wasn't Jesus. And I, you know, so I, I, God telling me I needed to be an evangelist. I was like, no, I don't even preach, Lord. I mean, I sing an evangelist, like I can go sing and stuff, but I ain't gonna preach. And some of you have heard this story before, but on that on that Sunday morning, man, God spoke to me in an audible voice, told me to go. Brother Johnny Garrison was preaching. He stopped preaching, came right to me. He said, I heard that. And I said, you heard what? He said, when God spoke to you, he told you to go. I heard it. He spoke it so loud, I heard it. He laid hands on me. I fell on the floor. He laid hands on my wife, Amanda. She fell on the floor. We didn't have no kids. It was just me and Amanda. We had just gotten married. We both laid on the floor and started to cry. The anointing oil was everywhere. It was just just an amazing day. And And I felt that. I felt that what I felt when I was nine, that calling, God. This is it. This is, the, this is the time to go. You know, this is, the, this is those first steps that I'm about to take in the ministry, and I felt that way. But the devil, he was right there. And you hear me talking about the devil. The devil. But, but looking back and, and reading my word, I, I realized that a lot of that wasn't the devil. It was God. God allowed these things to happen in my life. God allowed me to fall prey to some of these things. God allowed me to be susceptible to these spirits. God allowed me. Six years after God called me like that, six years from the time that that man of God looked me in the face and said, God called you. And when he he said go, I heard him say, it was six years my dad ever let me go preach anywhere. Six years. And that may not seem like a long time to you, but it felt like an eternity to me, six years. I mean, it, it was kind of one of those deals where I was like, I was so excited to be called and so you know, ready to go. And then my pastor, whom I would never go against in my life, I did that one time and almost died. I'll never do it again. And I, I, I realized when, until this man of God tells me I can go, I ain't going. And for six years, he didn't say a word. Anytime I asked him about it, he said, let's pray about it. I'm like, Lord, how long are we going to pray? I've been praying. We're going to pray some more, though. We're going to pray some more. I became bitter in my spirit. Everything I touched, felt like it turned into dust. But during that whole time, I was anointed. Anointed. Every song, every word, Anointed. I never quit. I never said, you know what? If I can't evangelize, I ain't leading this choir. Number one, I was afraid of Jeff. I know I'm a grown man and married, got kids of my own, but Jeff's a bad man. You don't cross him. That's my dad, by the way. Y'all know him as Bishop. But I, but I knew that God was working on me. Some stuff in my life I needed to get rid of. There were some things in me I had to let go of. There were some issues in my world that I had to let go and let God handle. God was working on me and pushing me and growing me. And I could have said, hey, I'm called to be an evangelist. Until I preach, I ain't singing one more song. But that would have been the wrong thing to do. It would have never got me where God was taking me. So in those six years, I literally built a house, planted a garden, literally, had kids, literally. I waited. I waited on God. God is your time and your season. And when God's timing and God's season came, it was like a rocket. I want to tell somebody here tonight. Stop fighting against the position and start praying for peace in the city. God, I need peace here. I need peace here. I seen the end game. I, I saw what you told me when I was nine, and I ain't seen it yet. So I'm, I'm, I'm hanging on. And I ain't seen it yet, but I ain't seen it yet but I've caught small glimpses of it standing in this building. And I've caught small glimpses of it Sunday afternoon standing in that building of what God is going to do. I've seen it on the horizon. It's never been a time in my life when I glimpsed and almost saw the light shining on the horizon of what God has spoken in my life. I just want to preach to somebody tonight. Build a house plant a garden God's in control and when it is God's season and God's time no man can hold you back when it is God's season and God's time I don't care how big Babylon is they gotta let you go when it is God's season and when it's God's time I don't care how bad those kings and those princes are when God says it's time it's time And every wall will come down. Every chain will be broken. God will bring you back. You will live in houses that you did not build. You will eat from fields that you did not plant. It'll happen. Stand on your feet all across the room. Jesus name. I want to encourage somebody tonight with this word. I want to encourage you. God is in control pray for peace in this in this position. Pray for peace in this season. God, give me peace here. Give me peace now because if you can find peace, you'll have peace. And there's never been a better time in my life. I didn't have no I didn't have the money. I didn't have the position. I didn't have nothing really, but I knew I was in the will of God and I was the happiest I've ever been. There's been times in this church, from this pulpit, that I realize that in my personal life, everything ain't what it should be. There may be some struggles in my life, but here, looking out, seeing the will of God happen right in front of my eyes, there's no happier place I could be because I just know I'm in God's will, and there's peace in that. Is everything okay, Pastor Chavis? No. There's some stuff I want to change. There's some stuff I want to become better. There's some stuff I need God to fix. There's some miracles I need in my life. But I'm so happy. Why? Because I know that I'm in God's will. And if I'm in God's will, then I know he's on my side. And I know he's working this all out for my good. And there's, there may be some hard days ahead, but there's going to be a whole lot more better days ahead. If you want to know what I'm doing, I'm building a house. I'm planting a garden. I'm growing. I ain't fighting. If God's got me here, then God's got me here. And I know God knows better than I do. And I'm praying for peace. I want peace. I want to be happy. I want to keep a smile on my face and joy in my heart. Is everything right? Nope, but I'm happy. Is everything perfect? Absolutely not. But I'm in the will of God. And that makes me sleep better at night. It makes me love people around me better. It helps me in my relationships. Because I know that God's in control. And that gives me all the peace in the world. I pray this word was an encouragement to you today. Thank you again for tuning in to Truth Chapel's podcast. If you have not yet, Please take a moment and leave us a quick review. God bless and have a great rest of your day.